0: Block talk radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio. Makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches. And Medhab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I have the pleasure of being with Stuart Smith, Stu Smith, former Navy SEAL. He spent eight years in the SEAL teams and is an instructor. Was an instructor at the Naval Academy for physical education, and he has been showcased on National Geographic's Fight Scene, where Stu demonstrated his ability to perform tactical exercise under most extreme conditions. I saw this. Episode. Uh, I don't know how long ago it was aired, but wow, what an impressive feat this guy pulls off. And I brought him on, glad to have him here because I know a lot of my friends and clients that are participating in obstacle racing, world championships, dealing with world's toughest mutter, 24 hour events. Hypothermia is a real big deal, and I can't think of anybody better to talk to about this topic. Then, Stu. Stu, say hello to my audience, please.
1: Hello. How are you? Glad to be here. Thanks.
0: Stu, I want to start by going back to what I originally suggested was this performance you did for National Geographic. And for those that haven't seen it, I think I'm going to let you just kind of walk through what the test was and explain to them what you did.
1: Sure. There was a show about six years ago called Fight Science. And this is really neat, you know, because they have physiologists there studying what's going on in the human body when you're exposed to certain elements. My element just happened to be a big tub of ice water, uh, about 50 degrees. Um, and, you know, the guy next to me, you know, in the next segment, he was, um, you know, he was exposed to 120 degree heat. So he did very similar thing to I did. In fact, the show is about both extremes, you know, performing you know tactically under both extremes and um you know I was in there for over an hour and was able to kind of keep my core temperature up enough to uh be able to perform um and it, you know I got some tips for you I think that would be we can hit those tips as we uh continue on this conversation and hopefully you can pick up something to carry on into your racing
0: so Stu my first question is, and again, I, I not only did I see this show originally, but I watched it again twice yesterday, and it's available on YouTube, and I guess anybody that wants to see it could first go to your uh, website. If you just Google Stu Smith, you're going to find him, and just look for the National Geographic Fight Science segment, and uh, what you're going to see, and as he, he kind of glazed over it, but I, I really want to build on this because I thought it was fantastic. They... They stuck him in a tub full of ice, and they were running out of ice to put into this tub. And 50 degrees doesn't seem like it's that cold, but when you sit submerged to your chest in 50-degree water for an hour, you're basically numb, right, Stu? Oh, yeah.
1: In fact, you know, anything below 70 degrees is not comfortable No. in the water, no. you know. So.
0: Well, for extended yeah. periods of time. Yes. And then, so the the drill was, first of all, they had him navigate through a little obstacle course. What he had to do was climb over a wall and then run across uh, an obstacle beam and then uh, low crawl (laughs) under like a cargo net and then uh, pick up a handgun and then find the appropriate target to hit and then shoot it with a handgun. And I don't recall specifically what the time was, but I think the first run that you did it without being exposed to the cold water was about 21 seconds or so. Is that about right? Yes.
1: It's, it's a fast one. I mean, it's, it was a ridiculously small obstacle course, but for the event, you, know, you had to do what you had, you know, what right. was available.
0: Right. And then, then they stuck you in that tub of ice, and then after you were exposed to that extreme cold for a little over an hour, they put you through that obstacle course again, and you actually improved your target time. So, uh, well, not, I won't say target time, but your target accuracy. You know, yes. you nailed that guy right between the eyes with that with that weapon, and then there was a center of mass shot. You ended up hitting him in the hand, but his hand was in front of his <coughs> chest. So, right. in essence, it was a picture perfect uh, target shot. And I think he only sacrificed what two seconds.
1: Yeah, I think so. So, right.
0: you know, so
1: yeah. So that's pretty cold.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> point of the matter is, is that you dealt with the cold. You actually caused your body to remain warm. Uh, core temperatures anyway, so that you're able to function. Extremities, obviously, were suffering from the cold. But you're able to get up and deal with that and function and perform at a, a pretty high rate, high high level of performance. Me being as old and fat as I am, I couldn't have got over that wall, whether you baked me, cold, froze me, or whatever. <laughs> but so, Stu, the heart of this conversation, I hope, I don't know if you Follow it, but uh, world championships for Spartan were at Lake Tahoe this year, and uh, the the events that really were issue were the world championships, which is about a fourteen mile event that started at about nine thousand feet, went to about eleven thousand, somewhere like that, and then in the course of that event, there was many times the competitors had to be exposed to water. They had to get into the water, get under a wall. In essence, they were in the water often, and mm-hmm. Some of them, surprisingly, were pulled, not even aware that they were suffering hypothermia. Hmm. And then there were, of course, there was the Ultra Beast, which was double the course. My wingman in my training clinics, uh, Miguel Medina, came in second at that event. Wow. And the cold was a major factor. Hmm. Let's touch on, A, going through some of the stuff that I found on your site, The first consideration is people suggest that you're either genetically inclined to deal with this or it's something you could train for. What's your thoughts?
1: I definitely feel it is an adaptation to your training. So yes, genetics, yeah, might play a part in it, but you can definitely train yourself to get used to cold water or cold air for that matter. Um, However, the, the hard answer for this one is you have to get used to right? So, so your body actually does have some adaptations to this type of element. Um, the good news is, you know, with proper food, um, you know, supplement, you know, throughout the event um, – as well as gear, you can actually, you know, keep yourself warm and functioning throughout. Now, the thing is, is you just can't stop moving. Like, if you start slowing down to a walk, you know, it's it's going to be really easy for hypothermia to, to start setting in. So you have to start moving,
0: period. <laughs> yeah, so I noticed that in this, I keep going back to this segment with National Geographic, the thing that you were doing or it appeared that you were doing, is you were actually voluntarily causing the shiver to try to keep your core temperature up by contracting. Was that true?
1: Yes. You know, the difference between, you know, running an obstacle course or, for for that matter, going through SEAL training and, and Hell Week and when you're always cold and wet for a solid week um, is, you know, when, when you're running and, you know, that's going to have a natural – heat producing element for you. So you can kind of fight off the, you know, the cold by just constantly moving to a degree. There's some period where that will start slowing down. However, you know, in in the TV show that I did, um, I mean, you're just, you're not moving at all. I'm just sitting in an ice bucket. And so I had to create some form of movement, whether that was just by flexing muscles, causing myself to shake voluntarily, as well as I, at some point, I was shaking involuntarily, um, you know, just to stay warm. And uh, the shaking is is okay. I mean, it's it's a way of your body of producing heat. So, you know, don't be scared that you're shaking. What, when you need to be scared is when you're when you have been shaking and then you quit shaking.
0: Right. <laughs> That's pretty much you're dying, right?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, you are hypothermic at, at that point.
0: All right. So. I'm trying to envision what might be problematic for guys that are doing these events. Now, I know that at World's Toughest Mudder, um, a lot of the guys, the mistakes they made were, A, putting on a wetsuit late, B, not putting a wetsuit on at all. And I guess the thing would be if you go into your your pit when you're doing your laps and you go back in to get recovery, get fed, whatever – if you sit still for too long and don't do the right things then, because you're no longer moving, your body has a chance to catch up with the cold. Is that something you're you're thinking oh. about?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, whatever transition times that you might have, whether that's drying out your shoes or getting a new pair of socks on or, you know, whatever, you know, getting some food, you need to make it quick, as, as quick as possible, Um you know, if you're in a warm setting, that that's okay. But if you're still just as cold as, as the normal elements, um, you know, you just you can't sit there very long. And if you do, it's it's going to start. You know, one degree at a time, you're going to start getting colder and colder, and and stay there. Um. Now, the one thing that um, that I've learned through like I said, many years of being cold um you know before seal training during seal training after seal training I mean, I was probably hypothermic six or eight times, you know in my twenties, um not horribly like debilitating hypothermic, but you know ninety four degree ninety five degree core temperature right which is which is cold, you know darn cold and i will tell you this my adaptation to being cold now if i'm sitting in a restaurant and i drink ice water and it has the air conditioning on i my body will automatically start shaking right so i have kind of gotten used to cold and my body thinks anytime something cold touches my body it just automatically starts producing heat now the two things that you really need to produce heat is high-calorie food, right? Think about it as your stomach is just a boiler, <laughs> and if you want to produce heat for a long period of time, you need to keep that boiler, you know, full of fuel, and good fuel too. I mean, and, and bad fuel too. I mean, whenever I did that um, hour-long in the tub, the one thing I don't tell many people is, you know, if you're ever shooting a TV show, there's a ton of food there, and um, <laughs> you know, for, for everybody. And we had steak, we had chicken and, you know, peanuts and vegetables and fruits. And I tell you what, I started off with, I think I ate about three steaks with the fat, you know, just sucked it all down with the fat on it. I ate a couple pieces of chicken with the skin on it, which I, you know, that's just, I never do, but I just ate everything I could. I ate a big bowl of peanuts and, um, and almonds and then just chomped down on some, you know, baby carrots until I was ready to go. And, you know, I had a ton of food in my system. I knew I was going to be able to create heat for a good period of time. And that was a really big key for me surviving that show. However, you know, when you're running, you know, like you're doing in the, you know, Tough mutters or, you know, Crazy Spartans and, you know, all, all the long obstacle course races and you're wet, you know, the key there is, you know, supplement throughout so you're not full, but at the same time you're staying somewhat fueled, and and it can be a high calorie snack. And you got to find out what works for you too. You know, don't just take my word for it and take a bag of peanuts with you and test it out and see if it works. You, know, you got to find out what works for you during your training programs. So when you're feeling pretty down, pretty cold, you know that you know two hundred, three hundred calories worth of peanuts are going to help. You know stay heated you know or whatever you know so it, it's it's some trial and error you know with your training uh you definitely don't want to try something new on the day of the event um so you know keep practicing it you know play around in the cold you know run in the cold you know maybe even get wet get your clothes wet and then run in the cold right yeah i mean i, I mean i know unfortunately that is potentially dangerous advice to to take from someone but your body will, um, and don't do it for long, but your body will start adapting to being cold and you will be better off when you're doing those winter races like that.
0: Yeah, so you touched on a couple of very interesting <laughs> things, in my opinion. One of them being that the feeding strategy matters a lot. Yeah. You know, in your case, you, I mean, I can't even imagine how much food you consumed. I, I could not have done that no matter what the case be. Taking in high-density <laughs> calories... I think that's probably a really good idea. I'm thinking in terms of uh, what is typical, where people are racing, they're trying to stay light, and they may opt for just hydration strategies that have carbs or what have you right. in, in the drink, and even maybe taking that cold, which might not be a great idea, and especially if you're not getting any solid foods. It's interesting because I talked to Miguel after his event at World's Toughest Mudder, And his advice, not only there, but also at the uh, Spartan World Championships, was to eat a lot. And he he just wanted junk food. They were eating pizza and whatever they could, any garbage they could toss in there, they were eating. And uh, had the same conversation, or uh, at a different level, but with uh, Nicodemus Holland was talking about when he did the Fat Dog 120, 120 120-mile trail run uh he set a record there, it was like twenty five hours I believe it was. Mm. But he was eating there was bacon when he came into one of the one of the stops, there was bacon left in a pan and he was basically sopping the bacon right up out of the pan with the grease and bags of potato chips and just whatever crap he can get in his stomach <laughs> because he A he was hungry and B, I think intuitively he was preparing to deal with the inclement weather. I tell you what,
1: I mean, I, I try to, uh, I mean, yeah, you can't eat pizza and you can't eat junk food, but you know, you still need fuel, good fuel to be able to run at a good pace, to, you know, be able to pull yourself over and under some of these obstacles. So, you know, I, I kind of do a compromise instead of going, you know, just any calories. I try to focus on, um, nuts, dried fruits, you know, regular fruits, you know, I'll, I'll carry a, um, usually what I do is I carry a Ziploc bag full of, uh, apple slices and carrots with me, you know, baby carrots. And, uh, when, you know, when I feel like I need it, you know, that's something. And it seems like it goes right into me. I also take, um, uh, like double bubble bubble gum, <laughs> you, know, you know, just, just for something to kind of wet my lips, especially when it's dry air, you know, of the winter, um, You know chapstick helps a lot too um you know just to keep your lips from chapping but you know just having some some moisture in your mouth that is also sugar filled i mean you don't get a whole lot of sugar grams from a piece of bubble gum but you know you put five or six pieces of bubble gum in your pocket you know and throughout the race you need a little boost of sugar you know it, it goes right to you um very helpful um uh, so, I've done a few obstacle course races, and I love them. You know they're super fun. I'm definitely not a competitor for them, but um, they're just something that I feel that are definitely a lot more fun than running a ten k race or a you know half marathon right uh just you know keeps my my mind occupied yeah. um but yeah i mean i uh i I have tried many, many different things, and I think the the biggest thing that that I would suggest for your audience is to you know during your training you have to kind of practice some of the specifics of what you're getting into you know whether that's you know kind of create an obstacle course get to a, you know run some smaller obstacle courses but you know um races but you know do it in the cold or you know when you run in the cold you know whenever it's winter time um uh you know figure out you know what what are your hydration you know processes that you that you're going to need that's different at altitude you know or or at or different heat you know Mm -hmm. temperatures uh you know whether it's uh, a summer race or a winter race Um, and all these things need to be kind of ingrained into your uh pre-game mission planning otherwise um, you know if you're just going into it and like i'm just going to suck it up and go do it with a box of you know granola bars you know, I, I think you you might be missing
0: out on some
1: really valuable energy sources and co- conservation of of your heat as well.
0: Right. Do you know who Matt Novaknovich is? Yes, I've heard heard yeah, of that. Yeah, Matt uh, is he lives in Alaska, and Matt and I have never met, so I, I'm not going to talk like we're friends. But but I could tell you that um, he did a little video clip where he shows him trail running in Alaska, and he would lay down in a stream uh, to try to acclimate himself to the cold weather or cold water and then get up and run again. And he said that the edge he was looking for was when these guys would end up in shock from having gone into the cold water, he'd rip out of it and just continue to march without any problems. So there are groups of folks that get out and they essentially they're trying to mimic the same type of activities that they do in BUDS where they'll go out and sit down in the in the ocean mm-hmm. and over a 24-hour or a late-night kind of a training session. Uh, what are your thoughts on that type of thing? Do you think that's a good idea? And, and I, I'm trying to take into account, too, that a lot of these people are just general population, not necessarily what I would consider to be elite athletes by any stretch. They're just folks that are enthusiastic about the sport and, you know, this whole tough-get-tough uh endure mentality do you think it's a good idea to be popping in that water like that
1: um well you you know uh, if you're not used to it you know you definitely want to like with anything if you're starting a running program you progressively get you know more and more miles each week you know i think the same thing holds true for if you're trying to get used to being cold you know you should run in 50 degree air and 40 degree air and 30 degree air and, you know, 20 degree air and make it progressive over, you know, a month or two versus, you know, go from 70 degree and all of a sudden now you're in 20 degree, um, you know, and, and you wonder why your lungs hurt and you you know, everything's, you know, hurts when you're running. You know, I think by progressively getting down to those temperatures, is is key i'm doing it right now here in maryland and it's we're having a very mild winter Um, however in the mornings it's you know degrees uh, by noon it's about 50 however i'm not ready to run at 30 degrees so i'm still doing my runs right now late morning early afternoon when it's between 45 and 50 degrees now probably in the next week or two i'll bump it down to 40 maybe 30, you know, 38 40 degrees and and it makes a lot smoother transition for my pretty much annual running program so I can, you know, endure, you know, freezing temperatures, you know, while running. Uh you know, basically I treat running in the cold and enduring cold water the very same way. So if I'm trying to, you know, Prepare for running in the winter. You know, I'll start, or I, I mean, I'll run year round, but I will make sure my breathing, you know, I'm breathing air that's 50 degrees, I'm breathing air that's 40 degrees, and then finally I break down and, you know, run when it's early in the morning, when it's, you know, 30 degrees. I think you can treat the, you know, ice water the same way. Okay. Um, you know, you don't want to jump into, you know, 30 degree. 32 degree water, you know, right right above ice temperature, and you've know, never done it before. You know, right. You know, try you know hit some maybe go go on the west coast and just jump in the ocean. I mean that's 65 degrees right now. Yeah. And that that's pretty darn chilly, right? And it's not very comfortable. You sit in there for five minutes and you will start shaking. um You know, there's a big difference between you know, water temperature and air temperature, as, as everybody knows, and you can get hypothermic real quick if you're wet. So, you know, your gear is very important too to what you're wearing. You know, I, you mentioned something about wetsuits, you know, and running. I've, I've never run a lot in wetsuits I and mean, we have done most of all my stuff swimming in wetsuits. Um, But, you know, some form of compression suit with, you know, very, Thin pair of pants that you know almost in thirty minutes of running can almost dry itself. Is you know they make these they call it tactical pants. Uh, Five Eleven makes them. You know there's a couple different companies that make pretty good thin pants that um, that can dry you know pretty quickly and not carry a lot of weight with them. Um, huh. You know and you know if you're going to go underwater, you know definitely put on a hood or you know some kind of swim cap. You know just so you don't you know freeze your head um and you know a a lot of heat will come out you know as um you know whenever your head's submerged so i always carried a a swim cap with me if i had to get wet you know and it was you know really cold. i mean if it's in the water's in the 30s 40s you definitely want to maybe put on a swim cap when you do that um even if you're just going under a log for you know 30 seconds makes a big difference
0: Another thought that comes to mind here is because grip strength is so important during these events, what are your thoughts on that? I mean I would assume that what happens obviously enough when you start getting cold is your blood supply stops circulating towards your extremities because you're trying to keep your internal organs warm. Yes. Whether you like it or not, and so your hands are going to get really stiff and you're going to feel kind of rigor in your in your grip. Any thoughts on how to uh, deal with that? Well, there's a couple of things.
1: Uh, one, uh, you know, after, like, when we were in the military, you know, we would be wet first 99% of the time, right? So we would be coming out of the ocean onto land, and now we have to work weapons and magazines. And, you know, so you, you really had to worry about your, you know, dexterity in your fingers. So one thing that we did is, yeah, we had gloves. We had, we had scuba gloves when we were in the water and then we had regular gloves when we were dry tried to keep those dry that didn't always happen but if if you couldn't do it one thing that helped me a lot is i had a real thin pair of scuba gloves with some pretty good grip on it um and i kept moving my hands while we were doing things and if you're doing an obstacle course you know and you got a long run section you know you want to wiggle your hands and wiggle your fingers while you're running just to keep the blood flow in there and uh, you know the warm blood from your core is going to get down in there a little bit you know especially while you're moving it doesn't when you're sitting still so you actually have a an easier time losing all your grip strength by going slow because you know you're right all the blood's going to go to your core and your hands are going to be frozen right but as long as you're moving moving your arms moving your hands you know you know, trying to uh, just open and close your hands, you will be able to keep the blood flow in there that will help you whether you're climbing a rope or a walk rock wall or, or whatever.
0: I would imagine that just wearing gloves all by itself might almost give you a false sense of security because your hands are still going to get cold. And with the gloves on, you may not even be aware that you're actually losing your dexterity. Is that wrong?
1: Um, no, it's, that's not a, a wrong observation at all. I mean, you definitely... Um, I always like wearing gloves just because I didn't get thorns in my hands, right. you know, and things like that, which can really just aggravate you. You know, they're not going to stop you from running, but you know, it's an aggravation that you know, you don't need. Um, you know, I always carried Like I said, I always carried a couple pairs of gloves with me. If I tried to keep a pair dry, like with my, um, usually like I put a swim cap and a pair of gloves and a Ziploc in my pocket, just run with it. And, right. um, you know, if I could, You know, whenever I knew uh, I had a section of, you know, 30 minutes of just running or climbing obstacles, I could pull those dry gloves out and put my wet scuba gloves in the other one. Um, You know, and just kind of change out like that. And you know, when you have those type of strategies too, um, you feel a little more empowered. You know, you don't feel like the elements are going to get to you um, as much, Um, which which can be dangerous as well, but at the same time, give you a lot more confidence in, Hey, I think I'm hypothermic. You, you don't get to that level. You, you know, you don't, you, you almost like hey, I am, I'm doing pretty well. I, I don't, I'm not cold. Hands pretty good. You know, you just keep rolling as opposed to slowing down, stopping. And then the little thoughts of, Hey, I think I'm, I'm getting hypothermic and I gotta go check, you know, get checked out, you know, instead of having those thoughts and to by your preparation, kind of eliminate that mental, I don't want to call it a mental weakness, but it, it it's, a, it's a lack of preparation that can get you into that state really quickly. Right.
0: Well, th- and then I guess the, the <clears> things <throat> to think about, too, is that in the event that you are out there and you're dealing with the cold, uh, kind of like going through a mental checklist to give consideration to how your body's faring, if you're shivering, that's pretty pretty good indication that things are starting to go awry, and then what happens is that you start getting clumsy, and then your speech starts to get slurred. These are things that are pretty much letting you know that you need to start being concerned, and when you start getting confused, you probably don't even realize that you're having these problems, and so obviously course marshals are there for that very purpose, to keep an eye on you and maybe yes. check you out and ask you questions just to see where your head's at. And may, they make the decision to pull you out where a lot of people don't realize that they're in trouble and may even argue that they want to continue on where it could be life-threatening, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's there's a fine line between mental toughness and stupidity, I always say. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you push that, that envelope, and it, and it can be, <laughs> You know very dangerous um so you know listen to your body uh you know your preparation will go will take you only so far um but you know with the proper preparation and then the um you know hydration and refueling and you know so you, you know you're able to burn energy that that gives you a big boost of confidence you know going into the next stage of racing, um like for instance, you know when we were at Hell Week the one thing about a five day event, I mean, this is a 120 hour event nonstop. And the one thing that we were able to do is every six hours we got to eat. So, and that, that was huge, you know, you you
0: know,
1: you, you could break, you could break down your 120 hour, five day week into six hour bits. And, you know, you just say, get to the next meal, get to the next meal. So, I think maybe that's that's why i'm that's kinda ingrained in me is the importance of you know that nutritional piece um you know we we didn't have a place to get dry or change clothes. you know we wore the same clothes the whole week, you <laughs> know same boots, same socks i mean it was it was horrible um you know, and you know chafing was something you just had to to endure uh whereas these races are a little bit more scientific. And you can, you know, you can stop and change, change things. And, you know, so all of that extra benefit, you know, is, is for the racer. So, you know, you don't want to gut it out either. And, and just, you know, keep rolling you know, you got to take advantage of these stops and, and, uh, you know, refuel, hydrate, you know, all the, all the things that you know to do as a racer, but then on top of it, you know, consider, consider how you're feeling you know, not only with aches and pains, but with body temperature.
0: Well, the distinction you made, I was very pleased to hear you say it, was to define the difference of mental toughness and stupidity. An example of that might be, here I live in Southern California, and uh, I'd imagine right now it's probably about 70 degrees out, but it's been cold at night, and my pool in the backyard I want to believe that that water is uh, mid-60s right now. I would
1: say. So
0: someone that uh, lives where I do, thinking that, well, I need to get ready for this cold, so I'm going to go jump out into the pool and tread water for as long as I can, that would be a bad idea. I mean, because you could potentially get stupid enough and uh, stubborn enough to stay there long enough to kill yourself.
1: Yeah, and and that's something too. Uh you know when when you're pushing these kind of personal mental toughness stupidity envelopes um you know, you really need a training partner too. You you need another set of eyes on you. You know, if you're in a pool, that pool needs to have a lifeguard. You know, so so there's many different uh elements that y- you need to add to this type of really harsh training because you're doing things that most people don't realize their bodies can do does that make sense yeah sure yeah i mean you're pushing you're pushing it to a level where you know the average person will say oh he's crazy right Right. but you know you know because you can do this stuff that it you know your your body's 10 times more capable of what your mind will let it be you know but at the same time you know your mind's there to also protect you from hurting yourself.
0: Right. Well, yeah, and and it's definitely in this sport, there's a whole lot of that uh, treading between mental toughness and just flat out being stupid. And you've got to be careful. And and I I know that a lot of people are listening to this for the very purpose that they found out through um, foolishness or trial and error that, what, whoa, I just all of a sudden can't do this anymore. I don't feel my legs anymore, <laughs> and I, I'm starting to slur my speech, and uh, and things are just going badly, and they're trying to figure out what they can do to keep that from happening again. Given it winter, given it uh, being in December now, and, and es- essentially where you live, I have clients out there on the East Coast, and they generally start going indoors uh, when the weather starts to kick in, but probably not that greatest of ideas. I think probably dealing with the, the elements is is uh, part and parcel what keeps you tough. And you know, I think you also develop uh, another layer of fat, you know, when you're in the weather, right? Yes, I would say so. Yep. And so, I, you know, that's that's getting back to the genetics. You know, you I think I read something about, you know, how the uh, the folks that uh, are aborigines in Alaska they can deal with this stuff you know you could throw them into this weather and they just i also read too that if you're shorter and more stout you have a a lot more capacity for dealing with cold than when you're long and tall that makes sense
1: that makes sense i mean you want to be as close to your core as you can be right so if you have an extremity that's you know three foot away from your core and you have another guy whose extremities are two feet away from its core only makes sense that's why like you know my kids you know who are you know four feet tall you know never get cold (laughs) you know you know whenever we're outside aren't you cold you know put on a jacket no i'm fine okay
0: uh Stu, you're you're doing a lot of training i know that you've got a a lot of literature on your site you've you've written a lot of books on training aspects for preparing for military and what have you what what's the key functions that you're into these days
1: Ah, You know what? I really kind of focus on that element of fitness that is about uh, job performance. So, you know, military, law enforcement, firefighter type fitness programming, special ops, you know, anything that, you know, where your fitness can really be a determining factor on whether or not you live or die or able to help someone uh, survive, whether it's Mother Nature or you know, a human uh, attack, Um, you know, those, um, you know, that's how seriously we take fitness, Uh, you know, it's somewhat of its own little genre that that's what I focus on, you know, whether, and it's a little bit of of everything, you know, we deal with, we, we do, we do obstacle course races just to help young guys prepare for the military obstacle courses, you know, in the military, we've been doing obstacle courses for, you know, ever, ever since I was in, you know, and, uh, you know, they're great tools for training. Um, you know, some of the best combat conditioning courses we, we've ever done, you know, require you to run and swim and ruck and do an obstacle course. And then at the end you get to shoot, you know, so, you know, all these things are, are really, you know, some of the, the, the neat races are really pulled right out of some of the, you know, military training programs that are out there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to see. It's fun to see people getting into obstacle course racing and, you know, because we we still love it and I think it's a great way to train whether you're an average guy who just wants to do something more fun than run a 5K or you're, you know, someone with, you know, aspirations to um maybe one day serve in the military.
0: Well, I would imagine that in the last few years with the uh the advent of the popularity of obstacle racing being what it is, that your stock as a coach trainer uh an expert have gone way up (laughs) a lot of people seeking Um, you out
1: yeah you know i I even wrote a program on obstacle course racing um you know i have you know downloadable products on my website um and it's a mix of everything you know it's it's how to train for these type of events um it's how to prepare for the military or law enforcement or firefighter obstacle courses that that you also have as well so it's kind of a, a joint book that can help you prepare for
0: either what's the name of the book
1: uh i think i call it the obstacle course racing workout there,
0: there you go <laughs> nothing
1: very yeah. not, not too uh creative there but at the same time it's to the uh, point yes yeah, to the point oh. and i have i have other books you know tactical fitness is a real good one it's a combination of all the elements of fitness um you know uh that we just discussed and yeah, you know, that's what I do. I'm a freelance writer. I write for Military.com. You know, three articles a week typically there. Uh, they probably have over a thousand of my articles over the last ten years. Yeah. And um, um, you know, on my <laughs> site, you know, stewsmith.com, But you know, my books are on Amazon. You know, in bookstores. So, you know, but I really kind of focus on that. You know, like I said, the military, law enforcement, firefighter, fitness programming.
0: You know, I have to tell you. Uh, all through this conversation, I've been biting my lip, but i got to let you know, my son currently is serving, and he's in the 160th. He's oh, a, nice. He's a crew chief for... Yeah. For, uh, I'm sure little you, birds. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Love them. Yeah. I'm sure that uh, you've had a taxi ride from those guys in the past.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, we even, I even worked on a project trying to put one of those things on a submarine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Wow. So, we were doing all kinds of stuff, uh...
0: Playing around with those, well, yeah. Well, look, Stu, I appreciate uh, all the insight, and uh, I think that uh, we'll probably we'll probably one day or, or another we'll meet because uh, it's it's too close. Uh, the The tie between the work you do and the work I do is is just so so close, and uh, hopefully we'll reach out to you another time and we'll get some more feedback from you.
1: Absolutely, anytime.
0: Thanks for having me on. I uh, appreciate it very much. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.